On the show today, we'll talk the full 22-car outlaw late model field, Devin Moran's early season performances, Hoosier late model tires and broadcasts, Earl Pearson Jr.'s new ride, and more. Let's go. It's Sunday, January 21st. I'm Justin Fiedler. This is Dirt Tracker Daily. Over in the Dirt Tracker merch shop, I'm down to just the last few logo t-shirts and only have smalls and mediums left in stock, but I'd love to get rid of these. Uh, so I've dropped the prices to $10 each. Uh, I do also have a few of the late model stickers left as well. I've been asked when we'll have new things in the merch shop. And as soon as we clear some of this other stuff out, we can start working on some new items to put in stock. I'll grab a shirt on sale now over at shop.dirttracker.com. Uh, it's nice to get up on a Sunday and have a few different races to talk about as we start kind of getting into the uh, 2024 season here for real. Down at Volusia, the Word About Laws Late Model Series got rolling with their first two shows. The Thursday program was rained out, and on a big, fast racetrack like Volusia, that doesn't usually bode well for the rest of the weekend. I figured we'd have juiced up, follow the leader racing, but come the feature on both nights, that's really not what we got. The track was still really fast, but it did widen out and allow for a ton of passing. Friday, we had four different leaders and the hard charger go plus 14. And Saturday, we had four lead changes among two drivers and the biggest mover go 23rd to 4th. The saying for me has always been, don't tell me there's no passing in sprinter racing, but it felt like that applied to the late models at Volusia this weekend. Really good racing and a hat tip to the uh, Volusia track crew for a great race surface. Friday night, Ethan Dodson, Bobby Pierce, and Ricky Thornton Jr. all led laps early, but it was fifth starting Devin Moran taking the victory. He started fifth, took the lead on lap 26, then drove on to the win. Brennan Shepard went 16th to second, and RTJ was third. Earlier in the night, Pierce actually set the track record at 15.100. He ended up fourth in the opener. And I think uh, had RTJ not run out of tear-offs in that feature, he may have actually won the race. It's a little easier to, to, to run well when you can actually see out of the front here race car. Last night, we ended up with a, a serious battle out front between uh, Moran and Hudson O'Neill. The two started together on the front row, and neither could really get away from the other. They traded the lead four times, with O'Neill eventually getting away late for the win. Kyle Bronson went seventh to second, and Moran slipped to third at the checker. Thornton had a poor qualifying effort on the night and was basically playing catch-up the rest of the way. He went fourth to second in the B, and then he nearly caught all the way up uh, in the feature, charging from 23rd to 4th. With a couple of weeks off now until Dirt Car Nationals, Brandon Shepard leaves the weekend with a very slight six-point advantage over Bobby Pierce in the way-too-early season point standings. If you go look at the standings, remember that full-timers get a couple of hundred points as a bonus for signing on. That's why Moran is currently 23rd, even though he had a win and a third on the weekend. The standings, though, show us there are more than uh, a few more drivers who uh, signed on than we, you know, that we really weren't aware of here. We'd already talked about 19 full-timers with the Outlaws with the addition of Daniel Hilsebeck, but 22 drivers show as full-timers. That includes Ethan Dotson, Jimmy Owens, and David Brazil. So all three of those have signed agreements, uh, platinum agreements with the World of Outlaws. One driver not included who we thought was is Tanner English. He was listed on the Dirt Under Outlaw preview, and his schedule is pretty ambigu uh, ambiguous on his website. The screen, uh, the screen, the spring. But clearly, by this evidence, he didn't sign. So 22 Outlaws leaving this opening weekend. The Outlaw Late Model portion of DCN starts February 15th. Next up for the uh, National Touring Late Model competitors is Golden Isles and the Lucas Opener. They've got practice this Wednesday with racing then starting on Thursday. Uh, back to Devin Moran. It's not surprising to see him have success down south early in the year. It seems to be kind of a recurring theme for him. 
He swept this outlaw weekend a year ago. We've seen him run well during Florida Georgia Speed Weeks before, and he heads to Golden Isles now with that win in the third. The question, though, will be can he maintain the pace once they leave Florida and Georgia? It's something they'll need to do better if they want to contend again for the Lucas title. In 2023, it took this team some time to kind of find their footing. Remember, this was a new uh, combination for last year. But here's why I'm hopeful for this year. In August of 2023, they really seemed to hit on something and 17 straight top nine finishes to end the season nearly won them the Lucas Championship. That included five straight podiums to close. Moran then finished fourth at the Dome and now he's got two podiums coming out of the opening weekend of 2024. This could be a team to watch as we continue if they can uh, keep up this pace and this consistency. One other note from the weekend, I saw Matt Weaver tweet about dirt late models having tire options with the current setup of the unified national dirt late model tire from Hoosier. Teams at the moment have uh, four, really four right uh, right rear options, uh, but really three kind of get used most often uh, by the rules, and that is the NLMT 2, 3, and 4. There is a one, like I said as well, but it's not included in the current rulebook, and I don't think it gets used as often. Hoosier's documentation says the NLMT 2 is, quote, lower traction, but a very durable, repeatable compound. The three is tough, repeatable compound that stands up to abrasion well, and the four is similar to old standard 1600 rubber, likes black, slick, slow conditions. Basically, the four is the hardest and the one is the softest, if you want to think about that range. This tire rule was announced later in 2022 and first implemented for the 2023 season, obviously continuing into 2024. Are we at a point, though, where it would add value to the broadcast if we knew who was on what tire for the features? In Formula One, they have graphics on the timing and scoring rundown to show us whether teams are on the hard, the medium, or the soft. And I think it could be fun if we had that same type of information for these late model races on Flow and Duravision. It could definitely help explain sometimes, I think, the comers and the goers and the features, and I think it could add a level of depth to these broadcasts. Gives the announcers kind of something else to dive into beyond just what we're watching on a surface level on the racetrack. Drop me a comment. Let me know what you think about this idea. Uh, Before we move on to some sprint car stuff, sounds like Earl Pearson Jr. has found a new ride. According to a Facebook post from Friday, EPJ will team up with Iowa's Jason Rowan to run the full Lucas schedule. This deal has only come together in just the past week or two here, so the team will have uh, a lot of work to do before heading to Brunswick this weekend. Rowan is a racer himself, having made scattered national touring starts the last few seasons. He was 23rd with Lucas at 300 Raceway last May, and he appeared with the Outlaws during their big Davenport weekend in August. EPJ is coming off a tough Lucas season where he ended up 10th in the final standings and had just three top fives on the season. He lost his ride after the year ended parting ways with Jason Papich and you wondered if maybe this was the end for his national touring career. In the Facebook post, it was even revealed that EPJ mulled retirement but has instead decided to return. The team will field Longhorns and EPJ has brought along his sponsors including Lucas Oil. We'll see if the 51-year-old driver can get things rolling in the right direction again when the season starts this week. Uh, down in Australia early this morning, we had the finale for the grand annual Sprint Car Classic. Uh, Warnable was tricky. Uh, several drivers uh, were caught out uh, by the treacherous cushion. That included early leader and pole setter Sheldon Hoddenshield. He was into the wall 10 laps in after tripping on that cushion. And the crash ended up taking out front-running James McFadden as well. That handed the lead to Aaron Reitzel on the restart, and he was never challenged again out front. Reitzel's classic victory was the first for an American in the event since Kyle Hurst took the win in 2015. Brock Hallett, Lachlan, uh, Lachlan McHugh rounded out the night's podium. Other Americans who had issues in that feature included Chase Randall, who blew a right rear while running second. Brock Zierfoss had a br- uh, big crash driving a Roth Motorsports tribute car. And Corey Eliasson bowed out early driving the Monty Motorsports machine. 
At the fuel stop, it looked like both Rico Abreu and Carson Macedo had to swap out Jacob's ladders after they had uh, wall contact as well. Macedo ended up 8th, Rico was 11th, and Justin Peck finished the night in 13th. Later this week, Volusia will host the 360 USCS Sprint Cars, and then for, uh, the first real big 410 action will be at Volusia starting February 7th. Most of the American drivers that were down under will be headed back now to the States following the Classic. Well, that's it for the show today. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Sunday out there. We'll see everybody right back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.